Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. As well, so it's amazing, isn't it? As we see it in the journey. Every little piece, isn't it? And we're continuing on in our journey in John's gospel. If you would turn with me to John 1, that would be good. We're doing this, um, we're doing this journey through John's gospel um, over the summer months, and uh, we're, we're doing this in connection with our, our, our current series, Following Jesus and All of Life. So I just want to read a few verses, verse 35 of John 1. If you've got it in your Bible or in your app, let's look it up in um, verse 35. It says, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked uh, at Jesus and he walked as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and they saw where Jesus was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak, followed Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, um, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus and looked at him and said, so you are, Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, uh, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael. I love how all these people find others and bring them to Jesus. And he said to him, Philip said to Nathanael, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets have written about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. A lovely thing for Jesus to say about you. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So Jesus sort of prophesied where he was sitting when he got called, which sort of blows Nathanael's mind. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I said to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Last week, we began this beautiful journey into this beautiful gospel, this book, this book of John, which we saw is a standalone gospel. It's not one of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic gospels. It just means they're similar in content, and they're written from a different personality. Um, but John's not like that. John's a totally standalone gospel. And last week, we began to unpack that these three big things that John unfolds to us through his book, The Absolute Supremacy of the Father, The um, Absolute Glory and Splendor of the Son, and The Absolute Necessity of the Holy Spirit. Now, you need to know that this book was born out of a, a loving, deep relationship with Jesus. This is a, it's, like a, it's almost like a love letter 
You have to say that carefully these days, but it's like a, a love letter. This, this Jesus, John just loved Jesus, and he loved him so much, he knew that Jesus actually loved him. He called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. This would be the boy who would, um, when, and they, these were just young lads, and, and this, would, this would be the boy that when they were resting at night, he would use Jesus' chest as a cushion. He just wanted to be close to Jesus. Imagine that. And this is also the revelator. This is also the John who would write the very last book in our Bible, the great book of Revelation. And, and when you read it, it's, it's a great book to read, by the way. Don't steer clear of it just because it's all prophetic and all of that, you know, because there's a blessing. The Bible tells, the Revelation tells us this in the first chapter, blessed is he who reads and he who hears the readings of this book. And if you're a reader in around my caliper, you can read it at one sitting in 45 minutes. So there you go. So it'd be a great way to spend 45 minutes sometime and read the book of Revelation and you'll get a blessing for it. That's what the, this promised. All right. And um, um, whenever John writes the book of Revelation and he sees Jesus in his, he gets to see, sees Jesus in a vision in Revelation 1.17, he said, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Imagine fell at his feet like a dead man. So this idea of here he is, he's leaning in his head on the breast of Jesus, and now he's, he's falling at his feet as dead. And so uh, it's, it's a book like no other book, all right? It's a, when Matthew begins his gospel, or any of the others, they begin differently. John begins his book very powerfully. When you read Matthew 1, you'll find the first almost 16 verses are all begat, he begat him, and he begat him, and somebody else begat somebody else. When John writes his book, he wants us to know that before all the begatting begun, something had already began. All right? So I practiced that all day yesterday. All right? <laughs> before all the begatting begun, something had already begun. This is what John's saying. He starts his book with this little line, in the beginning. Now, he uses those three little words, in the beginning, for a reason, because every Jew listening to him would know the Torah. So when he says, in the beginning, every ear would have, every head would have jumped up and thought, what, John's, John's quoting the Torah here. They would, they would know this. And so, um, as, the, as Genesis begins with, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. John wants us to know that before God created, something was already existing before that. So you could read John 1 before Genesis 1, because John is saying there was something before the beginning of creation, because in the beginning was the Word, and the living Word, of course, was Jesus. And John saying, He always was. He is, and He always will be. That's what he's trying to say here. And so this morning, I love this stuff. So this morning, I want to take us on a journey and show us how he called his team from the very outset. Now, I wrote this little thing up. I'll talk about it in a moment or two, but um, just so everybody can see it, I'll put it here. Um, uh, uh, just three simple points. You'll get them really easy this morning. Three little simple points, all right? And the first one is we're chosen. You need to know this. You need to know that you're chosen. I hear people saying, uh, I, you know, like we can give a word of encouragement to somebody and say, I believe God's got a call in your life. Well, bully for you. If you put a mirror under your nose and it steams up, God's got a call in your life. All right? God has got a call in everyone's life. That's we're chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. So, 
And I remember some of the old brethren preachers saying, if you want to know if you're chosen tonight or today and you're not saved in this room, then you better figure it out today. You better figure it out today. Because people are chosen, so the disciples were pre-picked. You were pre-picked. You did not choose God, but God chose you. That's what the Bible says. And he set his love upon you. And so these men, um, and, uh, it's, it's uh, Ephesians 1.4 that says that you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. So before even the beginning of creation, before Genesis 1, you, if you're a believer in here, you were chosen in Christ before the very foundation of the world. So this is really powerful. Now, if you were at the Tabar conference, you maybe heard this little story, and if you did, forgive me for using it again. I just think it, uh, it, it, it fits in with what I want to talk about. In 2004, there was a movie released, and I'm not the biggest movie buff. I do like a good movie, but I like a movie that means something. I love bios and that sort of stuff. I love true stories, so I like that. I don't like nonsense, really, and I've never watched horror in my whole life. Um, I hate it. So, uh, I, but I love, I love biographies and stories that carry depth. And this was a great movie. It's a story of Ray Charles and uh, portrayed by a guy called Jimmy Fox. Jimmy Fox actually played the role. And it was an Oscar winning movie. All right. And young Ray, the story is of young Ray Charles who watched his brother actually drown when he was just seven years of age. And then when he was nine years of age, he became blind. And, um, and his mom, apparently, his mom was really hardworking, and his mom encouraged him not to feel sorry for himself. And what happens is this boy rises through the ranks of the Seattle jazz scene, struggling with drug addiction and infidelity when he's on the road, and yet supported by his ever-loving wife, Ray Charles, redefined soul music um, and inspired a generation for over 30 years. Um, now, in 2005, the movie was nominated for an Academy Award. And uh, Jamie Foxx had to collect this um, award. But the problem was, the problem was, and Jamie Foxx tells this story, that the fame and the fortune and all that went with it went to his head, and he became a bit of a party animal. And he was totally off the scales. And so much so that people who loved him and knew him actually began to worry about him, and uh, they, they decided to try and do something. So Oprah Winfrey who sort of mothered him a little bit, realizes he's about to destroy his moment and decides to challenge him, and she invites him round to her house. Now, when, when, he gets, when Jimmy gets round to the house, he, he, he said he, he, as soon as he got into the house, he knew it was a setup. Because he said this, he said the house was filled with legends. The house was filled with older men and women who had carried the can before him, and um, and he said he felt intimidated by the sheer power in the room. Oprah Winfrey ushers him over to a corner, and she introduces him to these two boys, Sidney Pottier and Quincy Jones. These two boys are still alive, actually. Quincy Jones on the left is 86. Um, Sidney Pottier is 92, still um, alive. These were giants in their profession. These were men who had paved the way like fathers before Jamie, and Jimmy says his words, I'll quote, he said, this was a moment that would captivate him, remold him, and change his life forever. And here's what happened. Sidney Potter said to him, as he comes over, he says, we have been watching you from a distance. Now, I've been practicing that all week, all right? 
all right, Sydney Pottier, we have been watching you from a distance. And, um, and Jimmy Fox is sort of trembling in his boots. And, and basically what they're saying, basically what they're saying, we've been watching you from a distance. And then he said this, today we want to give you responsibility. Today we want to give you responsibility. Big statement. Now, what they were saying was, they were saying, we want you to turn up to the Oscars, okay, Jamie. We just don't want you turning up the way you are. We don't want you turning up empty-handed. What he's saying is, what he's saying is, you, you, we need you to show up carrying responsibility. You need to be prepared because this is too big a moment to become, to come into unprepared. And, and it's a bit like when your kids start to, you know, when your kids maybe get to five or six and you, you realize that you're no longer just carrying about a little ball of f- flesh that you're trying to stop hurting or killing itself. You know, like, don't do that. Don't touch there. Don't go there. You know the way we do, you know. And then all of a sudden, as your child gets a little bit older, you begin to give it. You don't actually even realize you're doing it, but you're, you're beginning to give them responsibility. You're now expecting more. You're, 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 you're starting to say, well, now you need to pick up your own clothes. And, you, you know, you need to wash your own hands and face. That would be a good idea. And you never hit a lady, even if it is your sister. And, 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 the, and the world doesn't actually revolve around you. And no, you can't eat out of the fridge 24-7. And so what you're doing is you're giving them responsibility. You're watching them from a distance, literally, and you're giving them responsibility. And this is what Paul was talking about when he gave Timothy, when he left Timothy in Ephesus as a, a young pastor to move for Timothy to, or for Paul to move on on his missionary journey. He sets up Timothy as the pastor of the church in Ephesus, and he says, what's he, what's he doing? He said, I'm giving you responsibility. This is what, what God did with Adam when he placed him in the garden, and, and he said, I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to make it better. He said, I'm giving you responsibility. This was he did, what he did when he called Abraham, and he says, I'm sending you to a place that you don't even know about, and I'll show you later. And he, I'm giving you responsibility. This is what, what Jesus meant when he said to his disciples, follow me. He's saying, I give you responsibility. Now, here's the big deal. Here's my second simple point, all right? I give you responsibility. And my second point is this. Number one, we are chosen. Number two, it's our responsibility to follow Jesus. As a believer in Christ, it's our responsibility. Now, you can get spoon-fed so long. And Paul, no, the writer to the Hebrews when, when, he's, when he's writing to the Hebrews, or her, it could have been her, I don't know, um, whoever the writer is, I have a little sneaking suspicion who it is, and it's not, I don't think it's Paul, but I think it's somebody very close to Paul, but if you want, I'm not going to say it publicly, but I'll tell you later. But anyway, and I'd be disappointed if it's not him. But anyway, um, uh, when, 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 when the writer to Hebrews, and you, I've said this to you often, the writer to the Hebrews is writing to the Hebrews, just tell them to stop acting like Hebrews. They keep going back all the time. They keep going back to their old ways. And, and, and this is the thing he's talking here about taking responsibility. And, 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 and we have a responsibility to step into this and follow Jesus. There's something about us taking this on. All right, that, so the, the, when, when, when they write about, um, about now you're still taking milk and you should be taking meat, you know, it's time to, time to stop asking yourself to be spoon-fed. And so what Jesus was doing, he's, he's saying to these boys, I don't want you to keep this to yourself. I don't want you to keep this to yourself. I want you to 
pass it on, because that's what legacy is all about. You pass it on. You pass it on. And so these men that Jesus were calling to follow him, he was giving them responsibility to change the world. And they would do that like nobody else. They would give their lives. They would give their all to make this kingdom message known to the uttermost parts of the earth. And when, my, when I was a boy, my mom taught me this. My mom taught me this. Only one life will soon be passed. It's only what's done for Christ will last. All right? There's something about this. All the stuff that we do in life, the striving, the anxiety, the worry, the social media, the binging, the under the spotlight of eternity, will it last? Under the spotlight of it, when the flamethrower of God's eternal eye goes on that in the last day because we will give an account for every word and every thought. And when the flamethrower of God's eternal eye goes on it, will it be gold and pass the test? Or will it be wood, hay, and stubble and go, that was no good. Because only one life, it'll soon be passed. And it's only what's done for Christ that will last. So God is calling us and he's giving us responsibility. He's reaching to us responsibility that we're going to unpack a little bit this morning. So whether that's in business, whether you're a nurse, whether you're a counselor, whether you're a shop assistant, whether you're a homemaker, a lorry driver, a youth worker, a pastor, whatever he has called you to do, you need to know this and you need to know it now. God is expecting a return on his investment. God is expecting a return on his investment. He has given you gifts, and he is expecting a return. And there's loads of scriptures that I could give you there. And so the thing about it is we, we, we need to be giving him more than just our church attendance. My goodness, if it's just this that you're giving him, you need to give him so much more because he wants everything. We sing that sometimes, love so amazing, so divine, demands our heart, our life, our all. And so over the next three years, Jesus would take these ordinary people and he would do exactly this. He would teach them how to follow him in every aspect of their life. And so it's one of the reasons that we went into this theme many months ago that our, 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 our discipleship would be, would be uh, good. When Lori gives me a list to go to Tesco's, I always get a bit nervous, actually, when she gives me a little list. She said, Phil, would you, would you go get me these few things at Tesco's? And the reason I get nervous is I know I'm going to get it wrong. Any, any other guys with me in this? All right. So, so thanks, John. Um, so, um, so, so, like, she writes, on the, she writes on the little note, butter. And then when I bring it home, she says, that's not the butter we usually use. And I go, you... You just said butter. And she says, well, do you not know the color of the carton we always use? And I said, well, I haven't been studying the color of the cartons in the fridge lately in case, you know, how long do you do that? Or bread, we don't use that bread. Well, it said best of both, so I thought I'd bound to, at least I'm half right. But um, so, so what happens is, what happens is when I get to Tesco's, uh, I know Tierney's here this morning, so better be really careful. I'm a bit like a rabbit in headlights. So I look at the note and I go up one aisle and down another because I'm aware of my comfort zone now. I know that I'm going to get this note wrong. That's what it's like when people get saved and come to church. And we just point them down aisles. We, see, there's a difference between pointing away and saying, follow me. There's a complete difference in this. Now, um, if we don't disciple them, we're sending them into church like we'd send someone to Tesco's with a note and we're expecting them to come home with all the right stuff. And that's not going to work. And so what happens is I, I, and we, we, um, 
We lost B&Q in Craig Evan and we got screw fix. Now, screw fix is all right. If you work in screw fix, sorry, but it's all right. But, you know, like looking through a book, you know, and there's nothing like walking up and down the aisle. Sure, there's not. There's nothing like walking up and down the aisle. Now, a few weeks ago, I met somebody in, in, in Ground Coffee in Sprucefield, and when I came out of Ground Coffee, I was heading to the motorway, and guess what I spied? B&Q in Sprucefield. Now, you know, some of you are saying, Phil, you need to get out more. But um, <laughs> So I thought, a little bit of time, I think I'd love a dander around, and I had a few things, so I, I jotted down a few wee notes on my phone, a couple of things I'm looking at, and then I goes to Tesco's, or in the... Um, B&Q, and, um, and uh, I'm a wee bit of a handyman, and, uh, so, and I always love B&Q. Anybody else here like walking up and down the aisles? Anybody? Don't leave me hanging here. Anybody else? Just good, good guys. There's just something about it, and it? it's just good for the mind, good for the soul, and it keeps you out of trouble. And that's unless you buy too much, all right? Um, but, but what happens is this, 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 this old guy, my age, um, was wearing a B&Q apron, and he came up to me, and he says, you look lost, sir. I says, well, I used to be lost. Jesus found me. And um, he said, uh, he said, he says, oh, he says, I'm a Christian too. And I said, all right, great. And he goes, and he goes, you still look lost. And I goes, um, I said, oh, okay, well, here's the deal. So I opened my phone, and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm looking this here. I'm looking, here's what I'm after. And he says, Mom. Now, he didn't hold my hand. That would have been a bit weird. But he might as well have. He might as well have. And he texts me, and, he, and I follow him down this island. That's what you're looking. Tick one. And then down, and, and he just took me around to three or four things I was looking, and bingo. He even walked me to the till, this guy. I, I, I don't know whether he was wondering, would I pay? Would I do a runner? Or maybe he just was, maybe just thinking, make, need to make sure this guy gets out of the store. Um, I, I don't know what it was. But there, the point is, that's church. And what Jesus is teaching us when, you, when he says, follow me, there's a massive difference between pointing and taking. A massive difference between saying, this is what you need to do, and come and I'll do it with you. That's what Jesus is saying. Follow me, guys. Follow me. Come and watch how I do it. Watch how I do it, and then I'm going to watch how you do it, and then we're going to do it together. This is the incredible story. So, so if, you, if, if you're into Tesco's or Sainsbury's or somebody, and you say, ask them where something is, and the, uh, the, the attendant says to you, well, it's three aisles up, past the milk, um, the shelf beside the butter, beside the bananas. Like, what's that all about? You know, I, I'm, I'm out and down those aisles and still can't find the thing. But here... Here, here's, here's what the difference is. The difference is that somebody's actually taking you on the journey. And this is what Jesus does. This is the most incredible thing. Now, we're at the third point already, so you're loving me this morning. All right, we're chosen. It's our responsibility to follow Jesus, and we need to use what we have. Now, when we look into the story from another gospel perspective into the calling. Let me, let me read this now. I, I want to put it all in one slide, but bear with me and walk through me with me in this, right? As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, this is the same story from a different account. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake. That's interesting, isn't it, that the Bible would tell us that? And, and for they were fishermen. And come follow me, Jesus said, and I will take what you just done, and I will change the usage of it for my glory. That's what he said. He said, I'll take 
what is in your hand, what you're good at, what your gifting is, and I will use it for my glory. Now, read on. You see what happens. At once they left their nets and they followed Jesus. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing the nets. Jesus called them. Interesting, he didn't say, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And could I suggest to you that these men became menders and fixers? Interesting that the one casting became fishers of men. And Peter, we know this, um, preached to to, to 3,000 people got saved under the first message under the anointing of the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2. James was the first apostle to be martyred in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. We see him beheaded by, by um, Herod. John, incredible things happened through these men as they launched the church into existence, menders and fixers. Here's the thing. Jesus changes the usage of their gift to another cause. And, 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 and the thing about it, the thing about it, you need to remember what it is in your hand that you have. Remember how um, God said to Moses, what is that in your hand? All right. He didn't just say what is in your hand. He said, what is that? What is that in your hand? It was already there, something that existed. It wasn't what would you like in your hand? What are you grasping at? He's saying, what have you already have? And I sort of wonder if God is asking the question to the church today, what are you willing to give me? What are you willing to give me in this modern day culture that thing can slip and slide so easily. Now, I'm not asking you to come and work in church. We don't need any more people working in church, but we need loads of people working outside of church, all right? We need more people working in engineering. We need more people working in the bank, all for the glory of God. We need more people serving coffee in Costa. We need teachers teaching school for all of these things for the glory of God. So what is in your hand? What skill do you have? If you like numbers and accounting, then take it and use it for the glory of God. If you like talking, find somewhere a job that you can talk in. If you like driving, then drive. If you like editing and designing, do that. Do whatever you do, but do it for the glory of God. What is in your hand? that you can use for his name and for his glory. If you like business, if you like doing deals, then be the best businessman, businesswoman you can be. Build it for him. Use what is in your hand. This is part of the Romans 12 gifts, seven gifts in Romans 12 that are the basic life function gifts. And I often say when I'm teaching on them, I don't even believe you need to be a believer to have them. They're born in you. They're, they're the things that are born. They're gifts of the Father that are born in you because every single person is born in the image of God. So some might say, well, the first one in that list is the gift of prophecy, Phil. Well, I don't know Richard Branson, and I don't know if he's a believer or not, but you can't tell me he's not prophetic. So let's not, let's not keep all these phrases to church. You can't tell me he's not good at looking ahead and reading the signs and seeing how to do this. And so, so, so here's the thing. The problem is some of us still have our gifts in our hands, and we've never given them over into God's hands. And when we give them over into God's hands, God sanctifies it, and it becomes something that He can use to build His kingdom and bring Him glory. Oftentimes, we, we love to talk about Jesus feeding the 5,000. I love thinking about the lad. I love thinking about the wee boy who offered his lunch that was just there to feed him. Five loaves, two fish, 
and he gives it to Jesus and a bunch of teenage lads take what they're not dead sure what they're doing and Jesus brings a miracle and they feed 5,000 people. It's absolutely mind-boggling. 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Jesus is doing the miracle, but he used what the people give him. And so you can take your organizational skill, you can take your business, you can take your job, you can take your family, and you need to place them into the hands of God. That's what we need to do. And when you take your natural and add it to his super, I know I'm saying it the wrong way around, but when we take our natural and add it to his super, it becomes supernatural. Where do you think the natural comes from? God adds to what we give him. God adds his super to our natural, and the supernatural begins to happen. I, I, we, we've seen this playing in links. One of the guys who I invited onto the board not that long ago said to me after the first board meeting, he said, Phil, I've never seen an organization could do so much with so little. And God can turn, turn anything into, into, see this thing here? This is a golf club. Now, glad you, I knew I needed to tell some of you that. When, when, when it's in my hand, when this is in my hand, it gives me a long, weary walk through long grass. That's what this does to me. It gives me a waste of an afternoon. And uh, sorry for all the golfers in here. That's what it does in my hand. When you put this in Rory McElroy's hand, when you put this in Rory McElroy's hand, it becomes, it brings him four major championships and a contract with Nike worth $200 million. It all depends whose hands it's in, you see. In my hand, it's worth nothing. In his hand, it's worth millions. When you, when you take a, a football, I, I used this football, and a little boy came up to me at the store and said, you stole that out of our school. That's Lurgan Junior High School. And I said, well, you may go talk to Dixie because he gave it to me. Um, so just, just putting that out for live stream. Um, this football in my hand, this football in my hand will get you a broken window. This football in, will he get his name right? You know I don't watch football. Cristiano Ronaldo, is that right? When you put it in his hand, it nets him $450 million. In my hand, worth nothing. In his hands, it's worth $450 million. How do you like his bank account? If you, if, you, if you want to go a little step further, you put this in my hand, you'll have a bit of fun. I'll miss the ball a few times, make you run all over the court probably. You put this in Andy Murray's hand, and it nets him 79 million pounds. You put it in Roger Fitter, that guy. You put it in his hands, 340 million dollars. You see, it all depends whose hands it in. And, and here's my point today. Here's my point. Whose hand is your gift in? Is your gift still in your own hand? Because if your gift is still in your own hand, God can't sanctify it and can't use it. You put nails in my hands, I'll get a trip to A&E and a tetanus injection. You put nails in Jesus' hands and His blood transforms us and takes away the sin of the world. This is the difference, you see, because it depends whose hands it in. You put my life in my hands, it brings destruction and death. You put my, hand, my life in the hands of Jesus Christ. He redeems it. He, 
he, he sets me free. I get born again. I get redeemed. And I get heaven bound for all eternity. It all depends whose hands you're in. And so I want to ask you as we bring this to a close. Are you in his hands? Are you in his hands at all? Have you ever taken the step of faith and accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord and said, God, I'm giving you my all? And some of you have done that, but through the years there's been slippage. Through the years, it's been like my little exercise pushing Jesus off the throne. You maybe remembered a few months back where you've taken control again and, and your giftings are back in your own hands. And some of the businessmen in here are afraid to give your business to God because you're afraid that maybe just in some shape or form, God might ask you to give more money or I don't know. Or some of you are just afraid of putting it into his hands. And today, my friend, he's beckoning you. He's saying, come, follow me. Follow me. I'll go with you in this journey. Uh, 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 if you're struggling up and down the aisles of life trying to figure what to buy and what to get and, and wondering, are you going to get the right thing? Stop worrying about that. Stop suffering your anxiety and your depressions and your fears. Put your hand into the hand of the maker. And he says, come, follow me. And he's calling you just like he called those boys all those years ago, 2,000 years ago, he's calling, he's beckoning you today, and here's the deal, you're chosen, and you've got a responsibility. If you're a believer in you, you have a responsibility to grow up. You have a responsibility to get into this word for your own and stop being spoon-fed. You have a responsibility to fall to your knees and pray for yourself. Some people say, I felt but it's better if you pray. No, no, it's not. My prayers are no stronger, no better than yours. You can pray for yourself. Build yourself up. Build your muscle. If you're not used to praying in tongues, ask God for that gift. I, 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 I'm, I'm not much for a, the, the, the open tongue in public, and I think Paul agrees with that. I have never really seen the, the, the benefit of that in, in a public setting. Excuse me if I offend you, but I do see it. I do see it as a private gift, and I think Paul said, I speak in tongues more than you all. And I taught my kids from they were little that these are, this, this is where you do spiritual press-ups. This is where you build your spirit, build your inner man, move past your, move past your brain power, move past your mind, and pray spirit to spirit, and you, your spirit starts to intercede. And if you want to pray for an hour, you'll struggle to do it in English. But if you want to pray an hour, ask God for the gift of tongues. And start to get into that place where, where, where deep calls on to deep. There's just something beautiful about it. The band are going to come up and we're going to close. I'll tell you a story as they come up. Um, Lincoln issued the um, Emancipation Proclamation on the 1st of January 1863. <clears throat> it was to abolish slavery for ever. It would release 50,000 slaves, I reckon, especially out of Kentucky and Delaware, but in around 50,000 slaves. The problem was it took two years to cross America. And, and so loads of, loads of people actually celebrate the freedom from slavery on the 12th of June instead of the 1st of January. And the reason being, it was the 12th of June, it was the 12th of June, 1865, before some of the news reached some of the slaves. So the problem was, Many of them were still in slavery for two years beyond the release date. They, were, they just didn't know. And some of us in the room are 
Some of us in the room are, are way beyond a release date. God released a, a freedom act and he declared a freedom over his church 2,000 years ago. And some of you are still sitting in the prison house of shame, still sitting in the prison house of guilt, still sitting in the prison house of rejection, still sitting in the prison house of abandonment, whatever it is. But you're free. He freed you. He freed you. Those nails that went into his hands, those thorns that went into his brow, that spear that pierced his side, that blood that ran down, procured freedom for every person that would cry unto the Lord. And that's why the Bible tells us all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And for some of you, this could be your morning. For some of you in the room, Wilbur Wilberforce was, a, was one of the forces behind abolishing slavery. And a guy who joined him in his quest for it was an Anglican minister from Buckinghamshire in England. And his name was John Newton. And John Newton was a former slave trade captain of a ship. He went onto the ships when, with his dad when he was 11 years of age and he grew up a, a, a wild, drunken animal of a man. Some would say his abuse was unbelievable to the slaves. And God spoke to him and touched him and redeemed him and set him free. And he, he stepped out of that trade and he went and he applied for the Anglican ministry, he became an Anglican minister in England and joined Wilbur Wilberforce to abolish slavery, the very thing that he'd got into. You say, well, God couldn't call me because I've got brokenness. Talk to John Newton. John Newton can tell you how he could do it. You know, he could tell you in two words, amazing grace. He wrote the song. <laughs> amazing grace. Amazing grace. Why would God call a cold man from Craig Evan? Why would God call a, 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 a lad who's no education, who carried coal around the estates in Craig Evan and loved it, but just got a heart for, for because I was willing to give him a five loaves and a two fish. And when you give him your five loaves and your two fish, you see, he can do anything with it. He can do whatever he wants. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I often wonder if the boy had never given his life. The, the very fact that you're not giving your gifts is selfish. The very fact that you're not actually giving your gifts is depriving the 5,000. 5,000 people. And I don't know what Jesus would have done. I'm sure he could have done something else. But, but the fact remains that if that boy hadn't given his lunch, 5,000 people would have had to get fed some other way. And you're five loaves and two fish. Don't deprive the person. Don't deprive your next door neighbor. Don't deprive your family. Don't deprive your workmates of your giftings. Use what's in your hand. Use what's in your hand. Give it to him. Don't be afraid of him. Don't be afraid of what he'll do with it because he'll bless it. He'll bless it if you give it to him to glorify God. Let's um, stand, we'll worship, and then I, I'll, I'll say a quick prayer. Our time's gone. Let's worship together. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.